Alright, so um, this morning I want to speak on a subject that I think is crucial and I believe that it's the key to our success in life, it's the key to our effectiveness in life and it's entitled Receiving the Father's Love. Receiving the Father's Love. Um, you know, I look at myself and there are times when I will do something for someone or, or for something or for some animal <laughs> and there's something in me that can feel a bit hurt if I'm not appreciated. You know that feeling of, but why did I do this? Did it really count? You know, why wasn't I recognized for all my hard work? And the Lord just started to show me that as long as we still have that need for the praise and the recognition and the adoration and the honor that comes from man, it means we haven't fully filled ourselves up with the love of the Father. You see, because when the Father's love is so full in you, when the Father's love is so full in me, I have no need for anything else. The Bible tells me that we are complete in Christ Jesus. We're complete, everything, done, finished, clap, done, right? I remember there was a time when I was at university back in the 90s and I was in a situation where I was walking with a friend of mine who was a pastor in the church that we were a part of. And the guy who was our senior pastor saw me with this individual and I remember thinking to myself, I'm glad that he's also seeing me with this friend of mine because he'll also see that I'm also spiritual, right? I'm also hardcore. I'm also up there. You know what I mean? I'm also pastor material. Now he knew that I was that, but there was that insecurity in me. And it was interesting because the Lord then spoke to me and he says, Paul, why do you want to attach other names to yourself? Is my name not enough for you? Are you following? Is my name not enough for you? And when we read scripture, we see that the Bible tells us, it says, when you become a Christian, you bear Christ's name. And that's one of the best things ever. Many of us like to have this label. You know those people who are not comfortable with anything that has not got a fancy label on it, you know? It has to be this, it has to be that. Sometimes with my kids, I'm like, come on, can't you just get something from such and such a shop? No, we want from this shop. I'm like, what's the difference, you know? You're just paying more just because of the label. But there's something in us as human beings where we want to attach labels to us. And we only do that if we haven't fully got a revelation of that label we have of the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And so I wanna to say to you this morning, Jesus is enough. Say that to the person next to you, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough, okay? Um, someone once said, a child of God who does not walk in the revelation of his sonship will be paralyzed by the lies and deceptive schemes of the devil. A child of God who does not walk in the revelation of his sonship, will be paralyzed by the lies and deceptive schemes of the devil. That's the reality. That's the reality. And ladies and gentlemen, this will affect every area of your life. The revelation you have of the Father's love for you. It affects every area of your life. It will affect how you pray. It will affect who you go into business with. You know that there are a lot of people who get into unnecessary business partnerships. They get into partnerships because they haven't got a revelation that, you know what, I've got Jesus with me and that's enough. 
And so what they end up doing is they have to always have someone else next to them to prop them up. And then some months after, afterwards, they come to a place where they realize, but wait a minute, I'm doing all the work here. Why did I partner with this person? And that's why in business, I, I say to people, only get into a partnership when it's actually necessary. You must ask yourself, what do I need this person for? Right? Um, I believe that a lot of these issues are rooted in our revelation of the Father's love. So what is God's original intention? In Luke chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That was when Jesus was getting baptized. Remember that? Okay? A lot of people have a revelation of the love but they don't have a revelation of the Father's pleasure. What I want to say is, His pleasure comes with His love. You see, this is so powerful. This is my beloved Son. What does the word beloved mean? What does the word beloved mean? It basically means loved by. Okay? This is my beloved Son, the Son whom I love. That's actually the name David. The Hebrew name David. David means beloved of God. Loved by God. Right? And then it goes on to say, with whom I'm well pleased. And, and some years ago, the Lord started giving me this revelation. There's, there's a difference between accepting the Father's love and then accepting His love and His pleasure. What is His pleasure? It's His delight. It's having that revelation that God actually delights in me. God gets excited over me. God rejoices over me with singing. And guys, here's the reality. Very few people truly experienced this as they were growing up. Very few people truly experienced this. If you look as a percentage of the whole population, very few people experienced this from their earthly fathers. And so we all go into the world wounded. And we think it's fine because that's all we ever knew. That's all we ever knew. I remember when I was growing up, um, there was a situation where, generally speaking, my dad would come home quite late from work, you know, Some, you know when it's dark. Uh, he would often come home quite late. And we were just used to it, you know. Oh, he's at work and he comes home 7 p.m., 8 p.m., you know, he comes late when it's dark. And so we were used to it. Until one day a friend of mine came for a sleepover. And I remember I was about 12, 13 at the time. And we were watching TV. And at a certain point he says to me, Where's your father? And I remember, for the first time, it was problematized in my mind. Because this guy was used to a situation, his, his dad, um, they lived just out of town, and his dad would knock off at about 4 p.m., you know those guys where they, their parents would finish work early, and then they would just go home, all right? And he said to me, where's your father? Because in his mind, he was so used to, at this time of day, dads are at home. My dad came home a bit later, often, right? And so I realized that for a lot of us, the gap, that father hole we have in us is something we've never problematized because we're so used to it. It's normal. I counsel, as you know, many people, many marriages, and you'll see a lot of situations where you'll see these wives staying on in situations where the husband is cheating, all sorts of dodgy stuff is going on. And when they speak to their parents about it, because parents always find out, 
you know the parents are kind of like no you must just hang on in there you know please your husband men are like that and so on why do they say that because they grew up so used to that that you know what just accept your lot in life better the devil you know than the one you don't know right so this voice from heaven said this is my son whom i love with whom i'm well pleased why was jesus so secure in the father's love and pleasure he had heard it he had heard that father's voice and he had embraced it and it was now internalized in him very few people have experienced that in psychology we call it emotional object constancy emotional object constancy emotional object constancy is basically where you grow up and you have mom and dad saying loving things over you, loving things over you as a little baby. But at some point, you can't rely on that. At some point, you have to have internalized it. I was speaking to a particular psychologist recently. We were doing a course together at, at, at one of the business schools. And his sons are athletes. They're, they're teenagers, and they're late teens, and they, they are athletes. And he said to me, he was a bit concerned the one time. Because here's this boy, I think he's now about 17 years of age. He does 10.6 10 in um, 100 meters, so very fast, right? And then he sees his younger son also. And one of his boys basically was getting onto the blocks um, and looked at him, looked at the dad, right? And then turned around and the dad was concerned because he says, at this age, my boy shouldn't be looking at me, needing my validation. Are you, are you following me this morning? shouldn't be doing that because we give our kids that affirmation and validation when they're still young and at a certain point they need to internalize it and i want to encourage you if you're still in that space where when your boss walks in and if he doesn't or she doesn't affirm you recognize you you should still be secure in the father's love you see one of the marks of true adulthood is self-validation there you are, you're a grown-up, you're able to say to you, hmm, I think that was great. Or I think I did a good job there. As opposed to where many people live today where they've got a blank sheet. They've got this blank slate. We call it a blank slate. And they go to work and they've got a nice new funky hairstyle and they're just looking for someone to say, you're beautiful, you're looking great. And when no one says it, they go home and they shave their head bald. You know what I'm talking about? We've become addicted to the approval of man. Why? We haven't got a revelation of the Father's love and pleasure. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, you see him just walking around and he's bragging about his Father. He's saying, you know what, guys, I don't receive honor that comes from man. I receive honor that's from the Father. You know what, guys, don't fear man. What can man do to you? Fear God, who can basically send you to hell. I mean, that's pretty much what Jesus said. People don't like talking about hell nowadays, but Jesus said that, okay? Rather fear God, where after you're dead, you can, you, your soul, you can, you can end up going to hell, right? Instead of man. So I want to ask you, and I'm speaking to two groups here. I'm speaking to you if you want to counsel people effectively. This is a root issue, receiving the Father's love, accepting the Father's love. But I'm also speaking to you if you're in that space where you're saying, I see some Father holes in me. I have some father wounds. I see these gaps and I want to be whole. And most of us in this room, I think we fit into both categories. We want to minister to people, but we recognize the need for ministry ourselves. Amen. Amen. 
So here's some questions to help you gain a better understanding of the Father heart of God. Which attributes of God do you easily identify with? Which attributes of God do you easily identify with? And why do you identify with those particular attributes? So for example, if you identify with God as your provider, it's probably because you grew up with a generous dad who would always just give you stuff. All right? Do you see God as powerful? Do you see him as kind? Do you see him as patient? Many people on the African continent, their perspective of God is, he's my provider, and they're very good at praying prayers for provision. Have you noticed that? Right? And the second one is, eh, he'll punish me. He's, he's, he'll discipline me if I do anything wrong. And a lot of our African fathers on this continent were like that, weren't they? It's like, very often they just saw their roles as, as long as I've provided for you, as long as I've sent you to a good school, as long as I've done that, I've done my bit. If you look at the migrant labor situation where so many people didn't grow up with their dads, all right? Uh, I listened to Pastor Vim's powerful message just about cities, right? And many people would move to places like this, the city of gold, and in the process abandon their families, right? In order to get money. So everything became about as long as he's paying the bills, it's fine. But then we have a father who's absent, okay? If you grew up in a situation like that, it's very difficult to have a revelation of how you can be intimate with God the Father. Sometimes I'll speak to people and I'll say, have you prayed about such and such a thing? Have you asked God about that relationship you're in? Hey, pray, relationships. <laughs> and there's almost this embarrassment around it. Because for most of us growing on this continent, the Father was the last point. I remember my dad used to actually say that, you know, I must be the last person you know, you speak to when you get into, when you find the person you want to get married to. I remember my dad would say that, you know. It's like you go through all the intermediaries, the uncles, you speak to all those people. Then when everything is sorted out, you speak to the father. You know what I'm talking about, right? So how many of you feel comfortable seeing God as someone who's your confidante? Someone you can just talk to about intimate things. That's the love of the father. Amen. And I believe that it's so important because it affects everything. Another question I want to ask you is, are there discrepancies between how you view your earthly father and God the father? Are there any discrepancies there? What's the difference between how your father is or was as you were growing up and how God the father is? And that's the gap we have to deal with. Amen? Amen. That's the gap we have to deal with. Are there discrepancies between how you view God the Father and how the Bible describes him? Do you have a biblical view of God the Father? I don't know about you, but I don't like being misrepresented. How do you like being misrepresented? You know, I remember I was coaching a particular person, she's a CEO, and she said, you know what, I'm a bit concerned about how this leader in my organization is representing me towards the staff. Paul, I kind of like feel like she's putting this, making it out like I'm this harsh person. Like I may be this militant person. She was communicating something like that, right? We don't like being misrepresented. We like people to know us for who we are. Amen? It's the same with Father God. And yet very often he's been misrepresented. Depending on what church tradition we're from, you know? Depending on how the person who discipled you, how do they disciple you? They disciple you so that you believe that God is this harsh, t 
taskmaster that you must fear? Or do they show you that he's a loving father who you can connect with? That's why I believe it's good to get into the word and to know God as he presents himself, not as people present him. It's important that we don't have the second-hand version of God. You know, sometimes if you're only discipled by just one person who's got his biases, you'll have just that one version. But God wants us to see the word. Okay? What symptoms of the lack of the Father's blessing can you identify with? What symptoms of the lack of the Father's blessing can you identify with? I'm going to go deep into this, but there's a way in which someone behaves when they don't have a revelation of the Father's blessing. And there's a way in which someone behaves when they have the revelation. What are the symptoms of a lack of the Father's blessing in your life? I'm going to give you a number of those symptoms in a while. Okay? Another question I have for you. To what degree are you able to rest in being God's beloved merely by being in Christ and identifying with him? So are you the kind of person who's just at rest with who you are? Or are you the kind of person who has to prove who you are? And you know what the scary thing is? In church settings, often we don't see it. There's some of us who spot it because we think that way and we're always looking and analyzing things and so on. But for most people, they'll just say, sure, that person is such a hard worker, you know? But the person is a workaholic and the person doesn't have a revelation of the Father's love. So they're striving and they're overcompensating. Okay? So where are you at in terms of that? Let me ask you another question. What healthy people help to reflect the Father heart of God to you and perhaps minister to you in this area? You see, one of the solutions to the Father wound is having people around us who reflect the Father heart of God because there are those people and they become gifts to us. And you know what's exciting about the Father heart of God? It doesn't have to be reflected by someone who's a lot older than you. Sometimes it can even be someone who's younger than you who ministers deeply the Father heart of God. Right? God is a way of sending people into our lives that reflect an aspect of the image of God the Father. And it's just healing. So you find yourself messing up in a certain area, but the person is so forgiving and you can see that they don't even see you differently when you've messed up in that area. But there you were, you were afraid to tell them that particular thing. I've seen it as a pastor where sometimes I'll counsel people and they're very embarrassed, ashamed, and they're like, hey, pastor, hey, but, you know, and then they say the particular thing and I'm like, okay, I've seen that before, but I still see the treasure in the person. And I keep drawing out the treasure. And after a number of years of that type of relationship, there's healing. There's a sense of security. There's a sense of, oh, that shame from my past. That stigma I've been carrying about A, B, C, D, I don't have to carry anymore. So find those people in your life because it will be very healing. But at the same time, be that person. Be that person. It can minister very deeply. That's actually one of the powerful things about marriage, by the way. That's one of the powerful things about marriage. Because when you get married, you're marrying people. Well, you're not marrying multiple people, but I'm speaking to everyone generally. Okay? You're marrying a person who's wounded on both sides. And one of your primary roles in the marriage is to minister to that person's brokenness. And you don't only minister to their brokenness by 
teaching them stuff. Okay, let's analyze you. Let's counsel you. Very often it's by how you are. It's how you celebrate them. It's how you see the best in them. Not so? And that's why for me something that's very fulfilling is when I look at a couple and maybe I might have married that couple, right? And as time goes by, you start seeing that, oh, this guy's wife was quite broken, shy, insecure. All of a sudden, she's a powerhouse. She's confident. She feels like she can do anything. All right? People who had experienced deep fear, and you just see them shining. Right? Um, husbands who didn't, didn't have dreams, couldn't do much. After a few years of marriage, they must be more confident. Why? Because they've got a wife who believes in them. Amen? Okay. You see this in the workplace with bosses. It's actually been found that people become how they are seen, how they are viewed by an authority figure whom they respect and admire after five years. People become how they are seen by an authority figure whom they respect and admire after five years. How many of you have had that experience where you were not confident in some area of expertise, right? But because that leader saw the treasure in you, they drew it out. It's what we call hidden treasures. It's strengths that you had, but you weren't aware of them. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, wow. We had a function um, yesterday. We were celebrating my mother-in-law's 70th, and we had a function uh, at their place. And I was speaking to a particular woman who's been successful in business and that kind of thing, and now hosts certain events. And I just saw the treasure in her. And this is a woman with, you know, quite grown up kids and so on. And I just started saying, I see you doing this. I see you doing that. And you could just see the power of what I was saying over her. The light bulbs turning on and so on. Why? The Father heart of God sees the treasure in people. Amen? You know, the Bible talks about this father begot this son who begot the son. That word begot is a very powerful. It's not just about giving birth to someone. It's not just about reproduction. That word to beget, it's how you can make someone become something in the spirit. It's about raising. Any guy can make a woman pregnant for the most part, okay? Can make a woman pregnant and have babies, right? But that's not being a father. Amen? Fatherhood is about being able to raise someone and help them become something great. And that's what we mean when we talk about begetting. Okay? And I believe it's something God wants to restore today. He wants to restore proper father-son relationships, mother-daughter relationships. Very often when I'm using the term father here, I'm also speaking generically. Right? In terms of uh, spiritual sonship. Raising up the next generation. Amen? But we can only do that if we are being fathered ourselves. And let me tell you something. That's the thing that grows churches. True, proper relationships where it's not like everyone is just, we just buddies, we just buddies. But proper relationships where there's accountability. Where there's, let's minister deeply. Where there's, um, let me draw out the greatness that is in you. I want to encourage you. Find people that you can father spiritually. There's a big father hole in this nation. Massive. Often when I'm coaching leaders in, in the corporate world, I say to them, you know what? Some of these people who are reporting to you, they need reparenting. 
Some of these people who are reporting to you, they need reparenting. That's why they're not confident. Your role with this individual shouldn't just be, I'm their boss. It should be mentor, coach, reparenting process. Amen? Amen. Okay. Another question I have for you is, what has helped you to develop a better understanding and experience of the Father Heart of God? It's not your first time hearing this concept of Father Heart of God or the Father's love. So in your journey, what has helped you there? Because my role now is to kind of like just trigger something that will take you to your next level on this journey. I'm not coming in thinking that, oh, this is the first message you've heard of the Father's love. We've been on a journey. Some of you are listening to this and say, Paul, you know what? I used to be much worse. At least I'm better now. So my thing is, how do I take you from good to great? So what has helped you thus far? And are you still doing those things that will take you to your next level in terms of this revelation? Amen? In Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is a very powerful statement. So when we don't have that connection between fathers and sons, what happens? We live in a cursed environment. We live in an environment that is not experiencing the blessing, the father's blessing, blessing of Father God. Now, some of you have been wounded, and you've been wounded for various reasons. Some of you have been wounded in the past because you had a father who was absent or you had a father who was very autocratic. There are different types of fathers, by the way. There's the absent father who's physically absent. Then there's the absent father who's physically present but emotionally absent. And so when people ask you, what is your dad like? Did he come home every night? Yes, he did. Did he pay the bills? Yes, he did. Was he there having supper with you guys every night? Yes, he was. But was there an emotional connection? No. And it's funny because I ask people that question. I say, said, did your father love you? I often will say that. Did your father love you? And people will say, yes, I know he did, Paul. But he was old school. So in his own way, yes, I know he loved me. And it's head knowledge. Then I say to them, did you feel the father's love and delight? That's where they struggle to answer. Amen? That's why they struggle to answer. Okay? So you can have a father who was absent. You can have a father who was autocratic. So there was 100% discipline, but 0% affection. Then you can have another father who was the kind of person where there was 100% affection, but zero discipline. And you know that when that happens, you still don't feel loved. Because the Bible tells us that a father disciplines the son he loves. So sometimes you actually feel rejected when you weren't actually disciplined by a father because you'll be feeling a sense of indifference. Like, does he actually care about whether I'm doing well in class or not? So with my children right now, I need to reflect that. I need to be able to say when they don't perform in class to the best of their ability, I need to be interested in that. Even if sometimes it backfires. You know, what's very difficult is when, as a father, you're trying to connect with the son, and for them, they don't see it as a big deal. Okay? I remember yesterday, uh, Samuel, you know, they play club soccer and so on, 
But then the younger kids had a soccer festival. So they needed some older kids to help with the refing. So he was refing for the first time. And he was a bit anxious, like, e, now, guys, what if parents complain and they say, you know, I'm not doing things fairly and all of that. You know how parents complain? And after the whole refing happened, I was very curious to know, so Sammy, how was it? And he was kind of like, well, it was okay. You know when you've got kids who are a certain age now, it's just like, yeah, it's fine. And I'm trying to draw him out, getting more information, and I can see he's starting to get irritated. I'm like, don't you have a comment? Don't you have anything you can say? The point I'm trying to make is that God wants us to be fathers that are present. And many of us didn't grow with that. And even if it was irritating my son, he will grow up with that sense of, my father actually cared and was interested in the details of my life. And I have to make sure I keep drawing him out and asking those questions, even if the response isn't the exact response that I want. Okay? And that's very important. So, what are some characteristics of the orphan spirit? What are some characteristics of that orphan spirit? And by orphan spirit, I'm not necessarily meaning you are completely an orphan. We call it an orphan heart or an orphan spirit. That's someone who doesn't have a revelation of the Father's love. Amen? Amen. I'll give you some examples. Unable to put down roots in a church. You know that those people who change churches very frequently, they can never put their foot down. And when it, the moment you try to discipline them or you reprimand them about something, they jump ship. They can't handle it. That's an example of an orphan spirit. Because anyone who grew up in a household where they would experience the father's discipline, they know that, you know what, this is what family is like. And guys, I've experienced this as a pastor. Right? Um, I've had many situations, you know, situations where people will come to me, they'll confess something. And they'll be quite confident when they're confessing, it's, oh, pastor, I did this, or pastor, this is the situation, or I'll find out something. And then I tell them that, you know what, uh, you can't continue leading in this area or doing this or doing that. Uh, or if they're not yet in leadership, I might say, you know what, I think you just need to take your time and let's just monitor the situation. And quite a number of those situations, you don't then see the person like the following week. Or after a month or so, the person just disappears. I'm telling you right now, very often, that's the orphan spirit, right? It can't handle discipline. There's an embarrassment around, oh, I've messed up. So let me go somewhere where no one knows me. And then I can project this image of perfection. You know what I'm talking about, right? But in family, when I've disciplined my kids, right? If I give my kids a, a, a hiding, for example, right? We talk freely about hidings, okay? If I give them a hiding, one of, but I explain to them why they're getting the hiding, I say to them, I don't feel like doing this, but I love you. I'm always amazed how a few minutes later, for the rest of the afternoon, there's such a connection between us. It's like they want to sit next to me, they're listening, they want to be connected and so on. Why? Why? There's a link between father's love and discipline. Father's love doesn't mean everything is always mushy, gushy, hey, oh, and we never address issues. Amen? Guys, what I'm sharing with you now is an important foundation for any church. All right? 
They're always looking out. This is the orphan spirit. They're always on the lookout for something bigger and better. They don't have the gift of contentment. I remember a number of years ago, a friend of mine turned 40 and he said to me, you know what? The gift I got, I got many gifts from people, but the one gift I got was the gift of contentment. It's that sense of you're not always striving for this or for that. Yes, you're still a goal-orientated person, but you're secure in who you are. Amen? You don't see yourself differently because of the car you drive or, because, or whether you're wearing a nice suit or casually dressed. You're still just as confident. Amen? Feeling-based faith. So if it feels good, if it feels right, then I'll follow it. That's the orphan spirit. They go by their emotions a lot of the time. Another one is the need for recognition. You guys need to notice me. You guys need to thank me for A, B, C, D. I've had people in our church who, who will tell me and who will confess to me that that's how they used to think. And God had to deal with that. They're easily offended. Easily offended. So when you correct them, instead of them saying, oh, thank you, this is such good input. It will take me to my next level. They see it as, Are we, does the pastor think I'm not good enough? There's a situation recently where we had to make a few changes. You know, often you, in leadership, you're changing people, putting this person in this position, this one in this position, rearranging this and so on. And one of the people who didn't have all the information, where we were just augmenting a certain situation, like adding more people into an environment, you know, and these people were still in charge of it. The one person just was like, you know, say to their spouse, oh, did it mean we weren't doing a good job? And their spouse had to explain that, no, we, we, we actually just needing to boost the area. We need more manpower. But there was that insecurity. Feelings of abandonment, even when one has not been abandoned. I don't know if you ever experienced that. You haven't been abandoned, but you feel abandoned. Or sometimes you are afraid of being abandoned. It's so interesting. A lot of people, when they fear rejection... They'll reject themselves before they can be rejected. You know those people, they'll just literally keep their distance. And then they start saying, everyone in this church is unfriendly. These unfriendly people. But you yourself are the one who hasn't extended that hand of friendship. Why? Because you're afraid that you might be rejected. Sometimes they've got an attitude of, no one is going to tell me what to do. Because the moment you tell them what to do, they feel belittled. They feel powerless. One of the marks of being secure in the Father's love is you feel powerful as a person. And if someone comes and says, can I show you how to do A, B, C, D? You don't feel less powerful. Amen? One of the marks of being secure in the Father's love is you can share power. You can give away power. It's what we call the reciprocal nature of power. Some people, their mindset when it comes to power is they think power is zero-based. And I might have shared this with you before. So their mindset is, if I've got 10 units of power, right, and Tsoi has got zero units of power, if I give him two, I'm down to eight, and he's up to two. If I give him another two, he's up to four, and I'm down to six. I can't give him any more because he'll catch up. But you know how power truly works? You share it. There's nothing wrong with power. You see, power should be given away. And as I empower you, I'm empowering you to empower me to empower you. 
And the more power I'm giving away, the more I'm actually getting. Why? Because I'm surrounded by powerful people. Amen? Amen. It's, it, when you have that revelation, everything changes. Everything changes. Now you have some people, I'm sure you've seen some people in the workplace where their mindset is very much, I'm not going to actually um, teach you this because then you, my position might be taken. I might become redundant. So I'm not going to show you this. And then they go into the little corner and they hoard all the information. And then they're the ones complaining, saying, there's no one to assist me. There's no one to help you. Why? Because you haven't empowered people. Amen? You can only do that if you're secure in the Father's love. They've got an attitude of, I know. I know everything. Okay? So they're unteachable. I remember a situation where I was coaching a particular executive in one of the banks, and I was talking about some of these kinds of things. And she said to me, Paul, you know what? What you're saying is so true. When I help this senior manager who reports to me, she embraces it, and she sees it as, wow, my boss, who's so busy, is actually helping me. But Paul, when I help this other person, who I've told you before, is quite insecure at times. She's like, no, 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 I don't need any help. I'm fine, I'm fine. Because very often the mindset of people like that is, when you are helping me, are you helping me because you think I'm not able to? Can you see that when you've got the Father's love spread in your heart? Remember when Jesus says, remain in my love? That's what he's talking about, emotional object constancy. When you've got the Father's love and delight in your heart and you're carrying it around, when someone comes to assist you, it's just reinforcing the Father's love. Wow, thank you, Lord, that these people just love me and are willing to help me. When you don't have that, when you've got that mindset of insecurity that goes around saying, they think I'm not good enough, it will come out when people are now trying to help you. You will see it that way. We always view our circumstances through that lens, the lens of how we view Father God. If we don't view God aright, we won't view ourselves aright. If we don't view God and ourselves aright, we won't view other people aright. You know that. If I don't have a right view of Father God and a right view of myself, if Martin comes and says, Paul, I just thought this would bless you and he does something nice for me, I'll be reacting, I'll be thinking, what is he thinking? Is he thinking I need that? What does it say about me? What gaps did he see in me? Amen? Amen? You always live out your self-concept. You always live out how you see yourself. Another characteristic of an orphan spirit is the survivalist mentality. Always looking out for yourself. You know those people when you try and interact with them, but they, they've always got an agenda. It's always what can I get out of this? And it's very difficult connecting with them at a relational level because they drain you. Because it's always about them. I don't know if you guys know people like that, or is it just me? But there are people out there where it's, it's about them. It's just about them. I remember counseling a couple recently, and that was the issue the wife had. She was just like, it's just about him. He's just doing him. And we don't matter. Another characteristic of the orphan spirit you're never truly comfortable in the presence of an anointed spiritual father. You know, there are those people where they were so good at relating to their earthly father that now when their spiritual father's around them, they're comfortable also. 
in that environment. And they actually maximize on those relationships. Whereas there are other people who are surrounded by wonderful people who can father them, who can mother them. But they're always running away from those people. The very people that would be a blessing to you, you find yourself distancing yourself from those people. Okay? And of course, as I mentioned before, they reject others before they can be rejected. I want to um, share with you a powerful quote by A.W. Tozer that he wrote many years ago. He said, It is my opinion that the Christian conception of God, current in these middle years of the 20th century, is so decadent as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the Most High God and actually to constitute for professed believers something amounting to a moral calamity. Toza goes on to say, the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him. It comes from his book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy. That's a very powerful thing. So I want to ask you a question. Can you say this? If God had a refrigerator, he would have my picture on it. Is that how you feel in your relationship with God? If God had a wallet, my photo will be in that wallet. I mean, just think about it. Some of you have photos in your wallets. Some of you don't want us to see who's, who's there. I always find it interesting, you know, some people's profile pictures, you know, you see the wife is there and her kids, but you don't see the husband. And you wonder, does the husband say, I don't want to be on any of your social media stuff? Or is that how the wife really feels? <laughs> Ooh. Sometimes I talk to people, you talk to ladies and you hear them just saying, yeah, because my kids are just the most important thing to me. It's just my kids. Yeah, because I just live for my kids. And so but she's been married for a good 15 years, 20 years, and you sort of wonder, where does the husband fit in in all of this? Okay? In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was almost like there was no father leading them. So they just did what was right in their own eyes. And I'm telling you right now, if we have churches where there's no true fathering, people will just be on their own mission doing their own thing. Amen? When we have families, when the father isn't involved in what's going on, I'm telling you right now, that's when you just have chaos. And people always say, I know, but my mom raised us and she was a single mom. Yes, God's grace comes and fills in the gap. But that was not God's best. Amen? Amen. That was not God's best. And sometimes if you've grown up in those environments, you can end up having this independent mentality that doesn't value the power of a father in a home. Amen? This independence that has never seen spiritual fathering. So when it's not happening, it's like, it doesn't matter. I'll do it all myself. I'm a church by myself. I'll survive. I shouldn't be dependent on other people. That's not how God designed it. Amen? So understanding the Father heart of God will affect your worship. Understanding the Father heart of God will affect your prayer life. <clears throat> understanding the Father heart of God will affect how you witness to people. 
You'll share the good news, not the bad news. Okay? Understanding the Father heart of God will affect your parenting. Understanding the Father heart of God will affect your ministry, how you minister to people. A distorted view of God results in a distorted view of yourself. Can I give you some examples of a distorted view of self? I am bad if they don't approve of me. That proves it. I'm less than others. I'm not as good as so-and-so. The moment you have that comparison thing happening, watch out for that. I must please others to be liked. I remember at Varsity we had a friend and she would always just have these nice cards for people and she would always be giving gifts to everyone. And I think this, this psychologist or shrink in me spotted it, that oh, there's something not quite right here. And I remember asking her and I said, why do you do all these favors for people? And she said something that was very telling. Her self-awareness was strong. She said, I feel like I have to keep doing favors for people in order for them to still like me. I'm glad that she had high self-awareness, but it said something about her self-esteem. That unless I keep doing this, people won't like me. She wasn't secure in the Father's love. Amen? Amen. My opinions are not as good as theirs. I'm bad if I fail. I was challenging one of my kids uh, because one of his test results wasn't as good as I'd expected. And I was wondering if he had studied hard enough. So we were talking about it, talking about it quite a bit, and I was being quite firm with him, you know? And sometimes I then exchange notes with my wife, and I say, when we were this age, weren't we getting like in the 90s for these things and so on? Like, yeah, because this is not rocket science. If you just study, you'll get it. Yeah, you know, we have those kind of conversations at home. And at a certain point, my son just says to me, Dad, it was just one test. And I could see that in himself. His image of himself hadn't changed. He was like, Dad, it's like you're freaking out, but it was just one test. So I kind of just stopped, didn't say anything else about it afterwards, you know? And then you reflect and you wonder, was I going overboard or not? But for some people, their mindset is, I'm bad if I fail. If they do badly in one particular exam, it defines them. Is that you? And some of you, you're never in that space. You never fail. And so it's masked. But you're so driven in terms of perfection because of a deep fear of failing. Because for you, if you get below a certain percentage, you're ruthless with yourself. I've coached people like that. And they say, yeah, but I, never, I don't fail, Paul. Because I, I just can't. But the anxiety that goes with that, the relationship breakdown with people around you that goes with that, all these needless casualties of war, and it's all because we're not secure in the Father's love. Amen? Amen. Our minister is the only real one. You know those people who end up having those mindsets? That's how cults form. We've got the special doctrine. You guys don't have that. Why do people become like that? Deep holes in themselves. Deep holes in themselves. I'm better than they are. My group is the right group. We have the best theology. I know more than everyone else. 
As we were growing up, the need that we had is to hear our fathers say, I love you. To hear our fathers say, I'm glad you were born. Before you've performed, I'm glad you were born. Do you know what I find amazing? When the Father God said to Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, it was before Jesus had done any miracles. He was being baptized. It was before Jesus had performed anything. God is taking us to a place where we affirm each other before the performance. See, many, many of you will say, but Paul, I got a lot of affirmation from my father. Did you get it just for being you? Or did you get it because you performed? Because if you got it before, because you performed, it means throughout life you'll be striving to perform in order to get recognition. And the day you don't perform, you just feel dreadful. And you know those emotions can be so strong. They can be close to depression. You can end up trying to fill that hole with other things. And very often that's how addiction starts. Okay? So let's watch out for that. It's amazing how Adam's nature was in all of us, wasn't it? When Adam fell, what did he do? Because of the shame, he was aware of his nakedness and he developed this fig tree mentality. Let me cover my nakedness. And as long as we function from the Adamic nature, that's what we'll be doing every day. We'll always be finding things that are like fig leaves covering our nakedness. We aren't able to be vulnerable before people. What are you doing today that's the same as covering your nakedness with fig leaves? Just think about it. How are you overcompensating for deep holes, deep insecurity? I remember I was dressed in a smart suit um, a couple of days ago and one of the profs at, a, uh, at the business school, um, this, this particular person, says to me, oh, you're looking so smart. And as a joke, I said, I don't know, maybe I'm overcompensating for something. You know, that, that was my response. And what happens is very often we've got fig leaves. And I'm not saying I was compensated, it was, it was a joke. But the point I'm making is very often we've got these fig leaf things we do as a way of compensating for deep insecurities in our hearts. And God wants us to be healed. Amen? Watch this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through to 7. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through to 7. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. So true son has that mindset, eh? that they are an owner of everything. It says, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. There's a very powerful concept here. Verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So because you're born of the spirit, the born again spirit is the spirit of sonship. So you have the spirit of sonship in you that's crying out, Abba, Father. What we now have to do is our mind 
has to be renewed to catch up with what has already happened spiritually in our spirit man. Everyone following that? Okay. And he goes on to say, therefore, you are no longer a slave. You no longer have that orphan spirit, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. What is an heir? An heir is someone who's receiving everything. Can you see why the orphan spirit is insecure? All is thinking, but how come he was chosen for that leadership position and not me? How come, how come he's preaching and not me? How come they recognize those people and not me? The orphan is concerned about those things. The slave is concerned about those things. But a true son understands that, hey, this whole thing, all this stuff, it's actually mine. It's ours. And you know what? The churches that become very powerful are churches that have people filled with a sonship mentality. A mentality that says, this is our stuff. We are the ones who have to take ownership and make this thing work. That's a sonship mentality. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to end off this message by sharing with you 11 traits. 11 traits that distinguish or contrast the orphan spirit from the spirit of sonship. Okay? They're by a guy called Joseph Matera. And he's done a study of um, the difference between sons and orphans. The first one is, the orphan spirit operates out of insecurity and jealousy. The spirit of sonship functions out of love and acceptance. Number two, the orphan spirit is jealous of the success of his brothers. The mature son is committed to the success of his brothers. I find this so interesting, you know. Um, there are times when I will share some of my accomplishments with a friend of mine, with, you know, just friends that I've got. And with some of those friends, I like to look at people's faces and body language. And with some of them, there's an excitement. If Paul can do this, I can do this. Paul's success is my success. But with some of them, I can see by the body language almost this, and it's very difficult to, to explain it, but it's something I can see. It's a spirit I can see. And it's envy. That's what it is. But it's an envy that comes from insecurity. It's that thing that's almost sad. That, why not me? Why didn't it happen to me? I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. And it's not that these are bad people. It's just that they are not healed in this area of the Father's love. Amen? For me, when I hear that so-and-so is doing this, so-and-so is doing that, especially when it's people close to me, it demystifies it. I get more excited because I'm like, if it's happening for them, I'm, that's awesome. It means God is answering prayers, guys. He's not just answering the prayers of the guys in the States or the guys in South Korea. He's answering the prayers of people I know. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a breakthrough, business breakthrough, please let me know about it because I'll be super excited. I love hearing testimonies of people in our church. But I've noticed with some people, there's almost this thing, even people in the church, it's like, so pastor, we'll let you know when it happens. And they won't actually tell me what the process or what's going on. No, no, no. Once the breakthrough has happened, we, we will tell you. Why? Because there's that shame of, what if we tell the pastor and then it doesn't work out? But we want to be excited with you and agree with you in the journey. Amen? Amen. 
I've noticed some people on this continent still have this thing of, if I share my stuff with people, they'll do juju on me. There's almost this thing. And then they lie. It's like when you talk to them in private, one-on-one, -on -one, they're like, hey, yeah, and this is how much we've made. You know, some people are very open with me. This is how much is coming through, right? There's a Christian guy who I, who I coach, not from our church, but he was even sharing with me, saying, yeah, and then I can even show you, like, look at our figures, yeah, and then these are other figures, very open. And you can see there's that security in the Father's life. There are the people where they struggle. Some people, they'll tell you in private, but when other people ask them, like, hey, we're struggling along with everyone, hey, we're struggling along. I'm like, why can't you be honest? There's this fear that you guys will do something to me. Number three, the orphan spirit serves God to earn the father's love. The mature son serves God out of a sense of divine acceptance and favor. You see, my worth is not in what I do. My worthiness is because of where I come from. I've been affirmed and validated by my father. And so now I go in and I do worthy things from that place of a sense of worth. Does that make sense? Other people are like, I need to first do A, B, C, D. Then I'll feel worthy. That's not healthy. Number four, the orphan spirit tries to medicate his deep internal alienation through physical stimulation. The mature son walks in the joy and presence of the Lord for comfort. You see, that orphan spirit, you'll find they will go to alcohol for comfort. They will go to gambling. They'll be addicted to all sorts of things. They'll get into what we call addictive relationships. There's almost this unsettled thing. I don't know if you've met people like that or if you've been in that space. This unsettled thing about them until they're filled with that particular thing. I still remember, I'm quite extroverted, and I still remember it was sometime in the 90s, and I was at Varsity, and I remember I was staying by myself, and I remember feeling sad as I was going to where I was staying, and I almost felt like I needed to just pop in and visit friends of mine, and the Lord started ministering to me and showing me that I needed to enjoy my own company. That me and Jesus, just the two of us, that we're complete. Because my visiting some of my friends, it was as if it, I needed to fill something in myself. And now I love my own company. I, I enjoy my own company. Amen? Amen? You see, God wants us to minister from a place of rest. Your most powerful ministry will come when you're ministering from a place of rest. Not from a place of striving. One of the things that actually short-circuits the anointing, the power of God flowing through you, is anxiety. And often, the orphan spirit is an anxious spirit. Let me do this to prove a point to so-and-so. Let me ask you a question. If I ask you, this is a good test, if I ask any of you here to minister, if I am physically sitting there, will you still be relaxed? Or are you more relaxed if I'm not there? I'm just trying to bring this home. Can you see where I'm going? If you're in the workplace and you have to give a presentation, are you still relaxed if your CEO walks in? 
If you're still completely at peace and completely relaxed, it means you're completely secure and you're abiding in the love of Father God. If you suddenly become anxious and you freeze because of who's walked through the door, then there's something not complete in the Father's love in your heart. Amen? I just want to bring this home. You see? Number five, the orphan spirit is driven by the need for success. But with a mature son, the spirit leads the mature son into his calling and mission. You're not driven. If you look at Jesus' ministry, he was affirmed by the Father in baptism. He then goes to the wilderness. Then it says the spirit then led him. He was led with the power of the spirit. Okay? And he starts his ministry. He wasn't driven. He was led. Are you being driven into success? Or are you being led by the Spirit of God? It's very subtle. I want to encourage you this morning, run your own race. Don't be the kind of person where just because Brother X is doing such and such a venture, all of a sudden now you're putting yourself and your family under pressure because you also have to do a powerful venture like that. Run your own race. Each person here is running their own race. There's some people who will compare themselves with me and they'll be like, no, but you're already doing this. No, I need to do this. And then I say to the person, but I'm 10 years older than you. And I say to the person, yeah, but I've got 15 years more experience than you in this field. That's what I'll be thinking. Amen. But you see this person try, I also want this and then I need this. And then, oh, I saw you've got this and I want this. And I'm thinking to myself, but I didn't have that 15 years ago. So why are you trying to compare yourself with me? Amen? Amen. So watch out for that. Success looks different to different people. It looks different to different people. Number six, the orphan spirit will use people as objects to fulfill their goals. But mature sons will serve people to bless the kingdom. I like something I, I, I once heard John Maxwell say. It's one thing to serve people to help them to accomplish their dreams. It's another thing to use people to accomplish your dreams. Can you see there's a subtle difference there? And a lot of people, that orphan spirit, when they become leaders, they end up using people a lot. Number seven, the orphan spirit repels their children. The spirit of sonship attracts their children. When you're a leader, you're so excited about the success of the people following you. And they want to be around you because they know that it's not about you. But when you're a leader and you've got that orphan spirit in you, you'll find yourself literally putting off certain people. Because people are like, you seem to always have an agenda. And when you're talking to me, I don't know. When you're nice to me, I don't know where it's coming from. Are you doing this so we respect you more? Are you doing this so that we're locked into your vision and then you can use us? Are you doing this because you genuinely want us to be successful? I want to encourage you, always follow that type of leader where you can see they've got a vision for your life. You know what I'm talking about? In any area, in the workplace, in church settings, does that person have a vision for your life? What do I mean by a vision for your life? You can see when they're talking to you, they've got a strong sense of, man, you can do more. Don't limit yourself. That type of person is worth following. But the kind of people who are always trying to ring fence you, the type of people who can't see 
what God is trying to do in you, be careful. Follow the type of leader where they also don't want to rush you into things. You know, there's some people who just rush you into things, throw you in the deep end, and then that thing, your success ends up destroying you. Follow the type of leader who will be fatherly and actually say, you know what, slow down here, speed up here. You know what, get rid of this person in your life. Add this person in your life. And you can see they're genuinely doing it because they care about you. Amen? Amen. Number eight, the orphan spirit has issues with anger and fits of rage. You see with the orphan spirit, they're so used to that fleshly thing of let me control people in order to get what I want. Okay? So often they'll get angry and they'll have fits of rage just to get what they want. But you'll find that the spirit of sonship rests in the father's ability to control and guide their future. Are there times when you become controlling? What I've learned about anxiety, some people can be full of fear and their fear causes them to withdraw. Other people can be full of fear and their fear causes them to control. And on the outside, they seem confident and they seem powerful, but their behavior is fear-driven. Watch out for that. Number nine, the orphan spirit is always in competition with others. The spirit of sonship is always blessing others. Number 10, the orphan spirit has a lack of self-esteem, but the spirit of sonship walks in the love and acceptance of Father God. And then finally, number 11, the orphan spirit receives their primary identity through material possessions. I have to have this. Or physical appearance. I have to look like this. Or the activities they do. I'm part of this club. What club are you part of? But the spirit of sonship has their identity grounded in the Father's affirmation. Amen. I want to pray for us this morning. If we can just bow our heads, please. Maybe you are here this morning and you're in a place where you've been wounded and you're in a place where you need to release those who have wounded you. I said to you earlier on that there are different types of fathers. There's the absent father, there's the autocratic father, there's the father who's emotionally disconnected. I don't know how you grew up but I want to encourage you this morning, don't let how someone else was to you, don't let that wound you. Because if you keep wounded, if you remain in a wounded space, that wound is going to control your behavior. Whenever you interact with a father figure, you'll find yourself being wary, shying away, running away. Yet that is a person God has sent into your life to actually bless you. If you're here this morning and you need to release certain people, I encourage you to just start doing so now. It might not even be a wound that came when you were growing up. It might be a wound that came from father figures, maybe in the workplace, what I call workplace wounds. It might be a wound that is quite spiritual, from spiritual abuse, where you expected certain things from spiritual leaders but you saw something else. I want to encourage you to just release them right now.
Maybe pray with me. Father God, I release these people. They do not know what they were doing. They themselves might have been wounded. I recognize that hurt people hurt others. Father, I've probably wounded other people. But you've forgiven me. I receive your forgiveness. And I also forgive and pardon others. I ask that this wound will not affect me negatively anymore. I renounce it. I rebuke every spirit that has attached itself to these wounds and tried to control me. I thank you that it's a new day for me. I make a decision this morning that I'm not a victim, but I'm a victor. I will not be controlled by these wounds anymore. I will live from the Father's love. And so this morning, Lord, I receive your love and I receive your pleasure. I receive the Father's delight. And I choose to pass on to others that which I'm receiving from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. I encourage you to go out and to minister to people from that place of the Father's love. I encourage you also to read up on this. Read verses from scripture. Renew your mind. Let's renew our minds concerning how we view God. And every day, let's prepare ourselves as we love on our spouses, love on our kids, love on our friends, love on our colleagues. Let's be a true representation of God's character. Amen. Amen. Let's be those who just delight in people. Let's show them the Father's delight. Let's show them the Father's love. Amen. Amen.